Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us today. If you're joining us online, thanks for worshiping as well. I want to just begin by echoing again what Jim said earlier. Just a big thanks to those of you who came yesterday to help with cleanup, both in the church and outside of the church. It made a big difference, and we're just grateful for your willingness to serve in that way. Well, today we're going to continue on in the study that we're going through on the book of James. And James is so practical and so helpful, you can't not walk away with something that you could say, ah, I can put that to practice in my life. And last week, if you were here, you know that James talked about our works. Today he shifts and he wants to talk about our words, which is an important and, again, very helpful thing for us to be paying attention to. But if you're here and you're just jumping in with us on this series, let me just back up for a moment and just give a quick uh, kind of overview of the author, James himself, and a little bit about the message that James wants to convey. So first, the author, James, um, is the writer of this book, and James is the half-brother of Jesus. And James grew up rejecting Jesus. That is not not putting faith and trust in Jesus because he's his brother and it's very hard to say, okay, you're my Lord at the same time to a brother. You get that if you have a sibling challenge. So during Jesus' earthly ministry, he rejected Jesus, did not put his faith in him, but then Jesus died and rose again and the resurrected Jesus appeared to James and it changed everything for him. It completely altered his life. And he went from being a a skeptic to an earnest follower of Jesus, and he became a leader, a prominent leader, in the early church in Jerusalem. And really, the early church is remarkable in and of itself, because the early church, when it it first formed, the Bible tells us that they met every single day. And oh, what kind of worship they must have had together. Because in Jerusalem, they would come together in the temple and every day when they came to worship at the temple, they saw a new temple ritual, and they, they must have just been going, oh my goodness, that whole thing was to point us to Jesus. That's amazing. And then the next day, they show up to the temple, for another, and they see the temple rituals again, like, ah, another one. That points to Jesus. And so it just must have been the most amazing worship ever, as they were just learning and discovering these Jewish Christians who now discovered faith in Christ, seeing how all of this fits together, how it all points them to Jesus, and it was such a remarkable time. The church flourished and it grew, but the church also experienced great opposition and oppression, and the oppression became so great for the Christians living in Jerusalem that they scattered to the four winds. They scattered out, and it's, it's interesting to me how God uses persecution, challenge, hardship to advance His kingdom. But that's exactly what he does. And so as a result, now these Christians are um, living out in different places. But James stays in Jerusalem. And he stays, so to speak, in the heat of the fire. And it's because he stays in the midst of the pressure that he's able to give. He has credibility and authority to give this incredible message. And his message is this, that we are to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. And that really is a remarkable message. But James is the guy that can say that because he understands what it is to live in difficulties, through, to face trials of many kinds. And James' point that he wants to help us understand is this, that God is God not just of the good stuff, but he's also the God of the tough stuff. He can use all of it because he's God over all of it. And he can use our trials to help reveal our faith and refine our faith. 
And that's what James' concern is. James' concern is that we have a growing faith, that we have a maturing and growing faith. And he helps us understand what that looks like throughout his book. And many of you are here and you're saying, I want that. I want to have a growing and maturing faith. How do I know if my faith is growing? How do I know if my faith is I'm growing in terms of maturity? Not just that I say that I have faith, but I'm living it out in my everyday life. Well, James is so helpful because he helps us understand, hey, here's some tests. Here's some indicators that you can look to to say, oh, if this is what it looks like to have a growing, maturing faith. And so uh, one of the, those indicators I've been sharing with you the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, and I'll just show it to you again. James chapter 1, verse 27, here's one of the indications that you have a growing and maturing faith. L- listen to what he says in verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts. Religion, that's a ritual faith that is pleasing to God. This is what it looks like. Um, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So James is saying, listen, if you want to know if you have a growing faith, just look at how do you see people who uh, are marginalized, people who are overlooked. And in James' day was the orphan and the widow. In our day, it's still the orphan and the widow, but really it means anyone who is the least, the last, and the lost. How are you viewing those people who are different from you, marginalized? Um, are, you, are you serving in those ways? That's a sign of maturing faith that I'm listening to God and I'm acting out what he has called me to do. But James doesn't just give us that indication. He gives us another one, and it's actually in the verse that comes just before 27. Now, we've been talking about verse 27, and in just a moment, I'm going to talk about why we've been doing verse 27 first, and then we're going to be looking at verse 26 kind of forward. But let me just show you what verse 26 says. So this is the verse right before it. Here's another indication of a maturing and growing faith. This is what he says. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So James is saying, listen, you want to know that you're really listening to God and you're really growing in your faith? It comes down to what comes out of your mouth when you speak. So James is going to shift his focus. And in the passage we're going to look at today, he answers the question, how does faith work when you open your mouth? And James wants to help us understand that a real, genuine faith keeps a tight rein on your tongue. Not that any of us need that kind of a message, though, is it? Right? I mean, we we don't need to hear about how to keep a tight rein on our tongue. I mean, maybe the person sitting next to you does, right? But not us. But James wants us to help us understand this and see, because the question is, have you ever said anything that you have regretted and wished you could pull it back? Have you ever been in a spot where you've just, you know, said words and you're like, ah, that hurt and I hurt someone, but probably not because you've all been very careful with your words and it's perfect with your speech. Um, But James wants us to help us understand that that our words are powerful, not just what we say, but how we say it. And it's important that we, we really get that. So for the sake of the person sitting next to you, we should probably pay close attention to what James is saying in chapter 3 of his letter because it really helps us understand what, what, what does it look like, faith will look like uh, when it comes to our tongue. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 3 in your Bible. If you didn't, don't have a Bible, hopefully you have the handout that's there. It has the passage printed for you as well. You can follow along. But once you find it, let's please stand in honor of God's Word. We'll read it together, and then we'll come back and we'll take a look at it verse by verse. 
James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force to set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also, also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Tell us what you really think, James. <laughs> All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, thanks for listening. Go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at this together. Now, I want to walk this passage through with you verse by verse, but first I just want to step back for a moment and just highlight a, a pattern of writing that James uses here. And by highlighting kind of the pattern that James uses here, it will help you understand actually lots of Bible passages because the pattern of speech that James uses is used all over the place in the Bible. And once you get it, it will begin to make more sense to you in lots of other places. And the reason why I say that is because if you're reading through the book of James, it's possible for you to think to yourself, why is it that James is jumping from one thing to another thing? I mean, at one point he was talking about orphans and widows, and now he's talking about the tongue. I mean, how did, how did he do this? And so uh, just to help you understand the logic and the flow of the book of, the, of James, I just want to step back and show you a larger um, pattern in, in language that I want you to see. So let me illustrate it with you first in terms of how we think in terms of our, or, of our English language. So I'll just give you an illustration. So in the English language, we approach things like this. I would say to you, I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk about bananas, and I want to talk about oranges, okay? One is long and yellow. The other is round and orange. Do you follow with me so far? Pretty simple. You got this. I'll just show you real fast. I said I want to talk about two things. One's long and yellow, one's round and orange. And so just that pattern there, you saw it. It's A and then B, those two things. And I want to tell you a little bit, a little bit more about A and B. And you followed it. That made sense to you. Now, this may be a shock to you, but in so many other languages around the world, it's not done that way. It's very different, and so it's very helpful for us to understand. And so let me just show you how it's used in so many other languages around the world. It's this. I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you about bananas, and I want to talk to you about oranges. 
One is round and orange. The other is long and yellow. Do you see the difference there? You're like, maybe. Let me me help you. You see that I reversed it, okay? You see how I reverse things? And if you were to follow a pattern of A and B, I said I'm going to talk about bananas and oranges, then I talked a little bit more about oranges and a little bit more about bananas. Do you see that? Okay, some of you are just looking at a musical group right now, and you're thinking, got Dancing Queen going in your mind, okay? So, but I want you to see this because this is what James does. And once you get and see what James does, you'll see it all sorts of places as you do Bible study. And just to help you, just again, I'll go back to how James talks. In chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says this. He says, uh, uh, there's two indicators, two things that help you know if you're really growing and maturing, listening to God, have a growing faith. It's to keep a tight rein in your tongue and to look after orphans and widows. Then in chapter 2, he talks about orphans and widows. He talks about not showing favoritism, not looking down on people, judging them, but loving everyone um, the way that we're, we want to be loved. And then he's talking about serving people with our, our actions, not just with our words. And so it's very much about loving the least, the last, and the lost. Then he goes back in chapter three, and he wants to talk about the tongue. He's talking about words. So it's A, B, B, A. Okay, you got it? Some of you are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Dancing Queen is going on. Um, but let me just I'll say it this, this simply this way. Just highlight that because you'll see it. Once you get it, the book of James, you'll see that all over the place in Scripture. And it can be very helpful. It's brilliantly put together. Um, and, and here he now shifts and says, now let me talk to you about words. So now, verse 1, we'll look at it together. It says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So he begins when he's talking about our words and our speech. He talks about teachers first. And, you know, why? I think maybe because James is, is a teacher and he's saying, listen, I want to start here and I want to be, look at myself first. He says, we who are teachers. And so I think that's helpful. Anyone who's a teacher, anyone who's instructing, you're held to a higher uh, standard level of accountability. And so he's, he's going there first. But it's also helpful because you may or may not know this, but in the first century, um, if someone was worshiping the synagogues and the, the early Christians, remember when they were pushed out of Jerusalem where they were worshiping at the temple, they were pushed out of Jerusalem. Now they started worshiping in synagogues. In the synagogue, any man could stand up if he felt like he had a word, a word to share. He could stand up and be a teacher in the synagogue. And so James is talking to Christians and saying, hey, listen, all you new Christians, and you have the good news about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you know, he's the the answer to all of our prayers. He is the Messiah. You have the right message. But at the same time, you've got to be very careful about how you communicate that message because, again, that all matters. And so it's just an important reminder for all of us. If we feel like we have something significant to say, something very profound, we're very confident about it, we also ought to be cautious about how we're communicating it because we are held to a higher level and there's a stricter judgment. You see that word there, stricter judgment? You're thinking to yourself, hey, wait a minute, I thought that the Christians weren't judged. And I'll just you know, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, um, it is true that uh, in Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is, if you've put your faith in Christ and you received 
His forgiveness, his death on the cross, he paid for the penalty of your sins. He took upon the judgment upon himself. That is true. You won't face condemnation, judgment for your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, um, 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about how all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that is for reward. So all of our life is subject to evaluation, and James wants us to maximize our reward. So he's trying to say, listen, be very careful with your speech because all of that will be evaluated. And he wants to help us see that too. Then verse 2, he talks more about the words, and he says this, we all stumble in many ways. Any exceptions of that in the room? Okay, so we're all on the same page. We all stumble in many ways. We're agreed. We all slip up. We all stumble. We all struggle. Okay, same page there. Then he says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So he says, listen, if you're never at fault in what you say and you, you get, you get the, your speech right, guess what? You have arrived. That means anything else after that will be so easy in comparison. Because if you get speech, then you, you so much more um, will come as a result of that. The, the question is, well, why is that? Well, part of the reason why is because your tongue is one of the last areas in terms of maturity in your life. Do you realize that? It's one of the most difficult things for us to deal with and, and tame and, and handle. Um, so it's one of the last areas in terms of our maturity. And so in, and we see that in lots of different ways. I mean, if you even look at biblical characters, if you look at Moses, you can't look at Moses and say anything other than he was a man of God. And yet you may remember Moses, he blurted out in anger words that kept him out of the promised land. Then you look at Abraham, also a great hero of the faith, father of the faithful. Um, when Abraham is under pressure, do you know what he does? He becomes one of the finest liars in the Bible. You just need to know that. Then there's Peter. Peter, so much to say about Peter. Peter, you know, he's just one of those guys when, you know, he, the only times he opens his mouth is just to change his feet. That's, that's the idea of, of, of Peter. Just kind of, he's one of those, he's the guy that said to Jesus at the very end, hey, if all these other, you know, clowns, they, they reject you, they abandon you, don't worry, Jesus, I will be with you till the end. Just a few hours later, there's Peter. I don't know who that guy is. You know, I've never seen him. I don't know him. And so he, 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 had that same struggle. We struggle in terms of the speech, in terms of what we say. And so it's, it's very real and it's there. And so he's saying, listen, um, it is one of those things that we just have to recognize we need God's help with because it's an area of maturity that it's a struggle. Then he gives some, uh, some illustrations. And I love James. He's so, he gives illustration after illustration to help us picture things. And the first thing he wants to see picture is that our tongue um, leads a direct, can set a direction. And so let me just show you. Verse 3, it says this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So he's giving a picture of a horse with a bit. And a horse, I don't know if you've noticed, is a very large and powerful animal. To me, they're very intimidating. But you put a bit in the horse's mouth and you can turn that animal um, the direction that you want to go. And James is saying, listen, a very small thing can move a very powerful animal. In the same way, very small words can set the direction of conversations and environments. And you know that to be true, too. Perhaps you've been in those environments where everyone's getting along, everyone's happy, things are going well, and then someone walks in with a bad attitude and says, what's going on in here? 
and it just changes the whole tone and direction, doesn't it? Very quickly, everyone is defensive, and the whole thing changes. So just a few words can change the environment. Then he goes on to say this, verse 4, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, and they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So he's talking now, gives another picture, and he's saying, imagine a big ship. And even though it's a big ship, it has a small rudder that's moving it around. And in James' day, he had envisioned, you know, a big ship. But in our day, can you imagine, like, if James had seen a modern-day ship that we have today, how big they are? Let me just give you a picture of one. Look at this. That thing is just huge. An aircraft carrier, when it's fully manned, has 5,000 crew members on it. That's a small city that's operating that aircraft carrier. And it's over 1,000 feet long. So it is massive. And yet at the same time, you know, there's a small rudder behind it that is moving it. And that's that in comparison to how big the ship is, that small rudder is still directing it. And James wants us to see that, listen, small words can make a big shift in terms of the direction of conversations and relationships. And you know that to be true. If someone interrupts and says two words in a conversation, shut up, it changes things, doesn't it? Two words and boom, there's an impact. And so we, we have to recognize that and be careful of it. And, that, and that's what he's talking about. And you're saying, um, you know, it's not only that it can negatively direct things, but I also just want you to say it can positively direct things. But on the negative side, just picture this, just small words that can make a, a big impact. Someone comes to church and they're new. And they're coming into the lobby. And everyone in the lobby seems to know each other, but they're lost. They don't know which way to go. Um, their kids are tugging at them. And so they kind of have to, you know, maybe interrupt some conversation to try to get some direction. And the conversation that's interrupted, the person turns to them and says, what do you want? Do you feel that? Just a few words. It sets a direction. Picture that same scenario. Someone walks into church. They're new. Got their kids trying to figure out where to go. Someone sees them and says, hey, how can I help you? Big difference, right? Just a few words that can steer the ship one direction or the other. One direction, that person's going far away from the church. The other direction, hey, I feel invited into this church. They want to help. They want to invite me in and help give direction. After a worship service, everyone's leaving. Someone sees you and says, hey, I'm not sure we've met before. What's your name? That's nice, right? A few words can go a long way in terms of setting the direction and the tone for people in our, in our lives and in the relationships around us. And James just wants to help us see that because um, it's so important that we, uh, that we get it. Now, um, not only, though, does our words set direction, they can also be used to lead to destruction. And that's what he wants to see in the next couple of pictures So he says this, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. So he's saying, listen, a tongue can create a spark that can create a massive forest fire. Just a little bit of words can leave just a whole array of destruction. And we know that to be true. Some of you remember back in 2017, the Eagle Creek Fire. Do you know what I'm talking about in Hood River, Oregon area? Um, that fire that started in the gorge. And as a result of that fire, um, 48,000 acres were destroyed. 
and that was a big deal for people who were living in the gorge, and probably you were aware of it. Um, but for me, when I was living in Vancouver, Washington at the time, it was also a big deal because the fire started by a 15-year-old boy who was living in Vancouver, Washington. He went on a hike with some friends and uh, took a firework and threw it down the Eagle Creek Canyon. And that little firework started this massive fire. As a result of that, he was then put on probation for five years. He was sentenced to um, over 2,000, around 2,000 um, community service hours. And the restitution costs that he has to pay, that he was sentenced to pay, um, was to the tune of $36.6 million. Do you think he'll pay that over the course of his lifetime? No way. But that was the cost the damage from a small spark that just ravaged a whole area of, of, of forest land. And so, it, it, again, James is saying, listen, a small thing can be devastating in terms of uh, uh, its, its outcome. Then he goes on. It's not just a fire. It's, it's more than that. This verse 6, he says this, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So, he says the tongue is also a fire. Um, it can be destructive. And it says a world of evil among the parts of the body. You're saying a world of evil. What does that mean? It just means there's a whole variety of ways, a whole body of ways that your tongue can be destructive. In fact, the Bible talks about the tongue, different ways it can be destructive. And I just wrote them down because I couldn't memorize them all. But here's just some of the ways that the Bible warns us about the tongue. The Bible warns us against a wicked tongue, a lying tongue, an angry tongue, a deceitful tongue, a flattering tongue, a foolish tongue, a murmuring tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a vile tongue, a gossiping tongue, a perverse tongue, a crafting tongue, and a whole bunch of other kinds of tongues, but none of them are good, okay? So you get the idea. There's a whole lot of destruction that can come from the, the tongue, though the whole world um, of, of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, and sets the whole course of one's life on fire because it itself is set on fire by hell. So again, the, the, it's a world of evil, and you're saying, oh, what does that mean? Well, again, there's a whole bunch of ways it can be damaging, and if we just did a simple um, pain inventory here in this room, my guess is many of you would say some of the most significant and painful damage that, is, that you've inflicted or had inflicted in your life was from the words of another person. That someone said something to you that damaged you and wounded you deeply. And maybe it was a, a teacher that you had in a school growing up or a classmate or maybe it was your, a mom or a dad said something and it wounded you. And many of you, even if your parents have passed on or long gone, you're still living in reaction to the wounds of those words. In terms of, for, for some of you, it's, it's, you've struggled for years to get past and you can't get past the sting of a word that was given to you or something that was said to you by an ex or by your spouse or boy, by a child. And it's hard to get past it. There is deep wounds that are there. And because of those wounds, it can change the course of your life or the course of someone else's life. And that's what he's saying. It, the whole course of your life can be changed by that fire, by the damage of someone's words in your life or your words in someone else's life. And it says that when your language is, 
is unmanaged and out of control, it's a, it is itself set on fire by hell. There is, there's a great direct pipeline from hell uh, to, those, to those words, which, again, is not good. And so James is just being very, very honest. Then, verse 7, he says this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So all kinds of animals can be tamed, but he's just saying, but you can't tame the tongue. It is restless. That is, you try to cage it, it just jumps out. It just won't, it won't stay. It is constantly going. And, and, and uh, that's uh, important for us to hear. But I want you to see, I want to just draw attention to this because he's saying you can't tame it, but I want you to hear how clearly he says it. He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. And I highlight that because I want you to see no human is going to be able to tame their tongue. That means whatever you try, whatever your management, whatever you're trying to do to control things, it's not going to work. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Listen, no human being can tame the tongue, but God can. That's what we need to hear. That's what James is trying to help us see. And in James, like blunt kindness, he's just getting right to it and says, I just want to save you some trouble. Okay. You're going to try to tame your tongue. You're going to try to control it. Let me just save you a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of time. You can't. That's what James is saying to us. Just being very direct, very honest. You can't. That's why you just have to finally and fully say, God, I can't. You can. Please help me. I need your help because I can't solve this on my own. That's what James is pointing us to. And it's important that we come to that place because if we don't, James goes on to say, this is um, how destructive it can be. It's, um, our tongue could be a, is a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. That is, our tongue can be weaponized, can't it? And some of you know that well because you have used your tongue like poison. Or maybe even unintentionally you've said something and it's poisoned. Either way, intentional, unintentional, it brings death and destruction. All the more reason for us to say, God, we need your help. And this is where I love the the prayer of David in Psalm 141, 3. Listen to what David prays. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Some of you need to write this down on a three by five card, memorize it, hold it, because it's so important. We say, God, I need your help. And God, in His kindness, has given us, by the way, a clever little cage for our tongue. Do you know that? It's this right here. <laughs> He's given us a clever little t- cage. And it is, it, the whole idea is, God, help me to keep the cage tight. Because until I know for sure that it's okay to let the tongue out. Right? James has said to us already, be quick to listen and slow to speak. So keep the cage shut until it's time and ready to speak. And so there's this, this built-in mechanism to say, okay, God, we need your help. We, we need you to help, help me in this, this area and this arena. And uh, it, 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 it's so important for us to get. So we, we ask God for his help. We, we listen closely. But then it, again, it's not just that we, um, we need to hear this so desperately because if we don't keep the, the cage tight on the tongue, we can release words out there and we can't chase them down. Have you ever been there where you're like, ah, I said that, I can't bring it back. And you wish, you wish you could just be 
quick-witted and kind of just redirect things and pull things back, but it's so difficult to do in the moment, isn't it? We wish we could do that. There's a story, maybe you've heard it, maybe not, but let me just tell you a story. There's a story about a guy who was uh, working at a grocery store, a grocery store clerk, and a, a woman was there shopping, and she comes up to him, and she's holding a head of lettuce, and she says to him, I'd like to buy half a head of lettuce. And the, grocery, the guy at the grocery store is like, I, I, we, I can't sell you half a head of lettuce. I got to sell, sell you the whole head of lettuce. It just doesn't come that way. And, and she's like, nope, I want half a head of lettuce. And he's like, oh my goodness. Well, I think I'd have to talk to the manager about that if we were to, you know, cut this in half and, and sell you half, half of the head of lettuce. She's like, okay, let's talk to the manager. So he's like, okay, let me, let me go and talk to the manager and I'll let you know what he says. And so she, he goes and he, he, he walks towards the manager in the, in the back area. And um, he doesn't know this, but the woman is following him the entire way. He gets to the manager and he says, can you get this? There, there's some old battle axe out there. Wants half a head of lettuce. And he's looking at the manager whose eyes just get bigger and bigger and realizing what's going on. He turns and says, ah, but this beautiful lady wants to buy the other half. That's good. I wish I could uh, think that quickly on my feet, right? Just solve a whole bunch of problems. But we can't and we don't. And, and, and so James is just really helping us say, hey, listen, we, we need God's help, but we can't redirect and pull all those things back, and we need God to help us with that. Then, it's not just that it brings destruction, but the tongue also brings distinction, and this is an important part too. It says this in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So he's saying, listen, you come to church and you praise God, And then the moment you get into the parking lot and hit the road, you're cursing all the idiot drivers around you. And that's the problem that he's pointing out. He says in verse 10, let's look at it. It says this, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The inconsistency in our speech should not be the case. Then verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? So again, James, picture, picture, picture. He's saying, listen, can a spring be bring forth both fresh water and salt water. No, it can't. And even if it did, you wouldn't trust it, would you? I mean, can you imagine going to a drinking fountain and one day it's like cool, refreshing, pure water, and the next day you hit the drinking fountain, you drink, and it's like ocean salt water? You would not trust that drinking fountain anymore, right? Because it's inconsistent, and the inconsistency breaks down trust, and you wouldn't go there. And then he goes on, and he talks a little bit further. He says this, My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, and a grapevine bear figs? Um, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's talking about the, the trees that were very common in the Holy Land, and he's saying, listen, if you have figs, you're not going to grow olives out of the fig tree. That just doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. And the whole point that he's trying to make is this, that if you're claiming to be a Christian, your speech ought to be consistent with the roots, right? Now back to the whole root fruit kind of a thing that he talked about before. And this is an important, important thing. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, and listen, not everyone here is uh, yet a Christian. Just because you show up to church does not automatically make you a Christian. I just want to be clear and upfront about that. 
But if you're here and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done for you, that He died on the cross for your sins and you've trusted His plan of salvation, listen, you are now a Christian and represent Christ. And the reasonable question then is, if someone claims to be a Christian, that is the root what would be reasonable for people around you to expect from your speech as fruit, right? It would be reasonable to ask the question, well, what's the expectation? And the expectation from people around you, if you're claiming to be a Christian, is that there's some reasonable level of growth and quality in your speech. That is reasonable. It ought to be consistent between the two. And that's what James is saying, and that's where he leaves us. He's saying, listen, it ought to be consistent in your life. If you claim to be a Christian, it ought to come out in terms of the growing and maturity of your faith through your speech. Then he stops, wants us to sink in. Now, what I want to do is before we go, just give you a couple of principles that come right out of this passage. And by just simply stating them it might, and writing them down, it might just help you see them. They're not hard to see, but just kind of helps you get them really kind of hopefully nailed down a little bit deeper into our lives. And so we'll give you three speech lessons and then three speech warnings. The first of the speech lessons is this. Never overlook the power of your tongue to bring control. James is saying, listen, don't overlook the power of something small like your tongue to bring direction and control. You enter into an environment and you're calm and you're uh, compassionate and you're caring. Um, It makes a difference in that environment, doesn't it? It can change the whole tone in your household. It can change the tone at your school and your cla- with your classmates. It can change the tone at work through your speech. And so we just, we can't underestimate the power of that control, the direction in those environments. Of course, it can be used negatively, which is kind of ties into the next one here, which is this. Never underestimate the tongue's power to corrupt. Never underestimate the tongue's power to corrupt corrupt. So um, the tongue, even though it's small, again, can create uh, great damage. And so many people want to um, underestimate that. They'll, they'll say to you, well, that's just the way I talk, or I'm just honest, or that's just how I process things, and all sorts of other nonsense. But we just can't underestimate how our words can be corrosive, corruptive, and damaging in the lives of other people. Then the third one is this. Never ignore what is coming out of your mouth. Never ignore what is coming out of it. And this is important, and this is where Jesus helps us, because in Matthew um, uh, 12, he, he talks about this. He says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we need to pay attention to what's coming out of the mouth, because it's an indicator of what's going on in our heart, that it's a spiritual issue. And, and it's really, in a certain sense, that can be a, a, a spiritual gauge to tell us, hey, we're low, we're running on empty in terms of our heart responsiveness to God because of the way that we're talking and speaking and the words we're going out. Use it as an indicator. The, you know, the gauge, it's low, we're reading, we're on empty, we're at court low, we gotta, we gotta get back to the heart issue and recenter our lives and our hearts on Christ. It's so important. Then, a th- uh, now we'll go to the, the three speech warnings. Um, let me show you them real quickly. The first one is this, don't overlook your words because they're little. Don't overlook your words because they're litter, little. And um, this is true in lots of ways. We 
We want to overlook words because we're little. Maybe you've done this before or heard this before where someone will say, well, I just said this one little thing, right? You heard that before? All I said was just this little thing, and why are they being so reactive? I just said a few things, one thing, you know? And it's the point is that we can't underestimate the little things that can be um, explosive or damaging in someone else's life. So don't overlook the words just because they're little. Oh, I just said one thing, and they just left the room. Well, it, that one little thing was, uh, was dynamite, okay? That's the, that's the problem. So we have to be careful about that. Second one, don't excuse your words because of your intent, don't excuse your words because of your intent. It's very easy for us to excuse things because we didn't intend to do it. But just because we didn't intend to doesn't take away the damage that was caused by our words. So that young, you know, 15-year-old teenage boy in Vancouver, Washington, he did not intend to burn down 48,000 acres of forest when he threw that one firework into the... Now, it was foolish for sure, but I don't think he was intending to burn things down, cause $36 million worth of damage, right? It wasn't intended, but at the same time, the outcome is still the same. So whether it's fire or, or whether it's uh, poison, the outcome is still destruction and death. And so when we're you know, trying to defend our intent, we're still missing the fact that they're bleeding out in front of us because of our words that have been so damaging and destructive. So important for us to get. Third speech warning. Um, don't ignore your words because of your confidence. Don't ignore your words because of your confidence. This is important because it's very easy for us to, when we are confident... Um, with our words. And this is what you're saying. What are my confidence? Well, the confidence comes when we, we know we're right. You ever been there? Well, I know I'm right. And sometimes when we know we're right, we can be most rude. And I think that's the point that we just have to be careful. And even in the context, James is talking about those who are, you know, getting up and speaking in the synagogues. You know you're right. Jesus is the way. But don't do it in such a way that you're, you're, you're jamming it down or hurting people in the process. So we can be right and wrong-spirited or wrong-toned at the same time, we have to be, when our, with our confidence, very, very cautious and hear that warning. Don't ignore it. Okay. Um, those are the three speech warnings and the, the three speech uh, lessons. And some of you are saying, well, I just need help with this. I, I just, my, my words can get away from me and I need help. Um, what am I supposed to do? Well, just listen again to Jesus. Jesus says this, um, your words come out of where the, the heart, where the heart is full, the, the fullness of your heart, that's where your words speak, okay? So it's, it's an indication of your heart. And so we just then got to come back to what David prays, and I'll just show you another prayer that he prays that you may be familiar with, Psalm 5110. Listen to what he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, that our words and our challenge with our words, it's a spiritual issue that we have to keep coming back and saying, God, you need to change me. I need to be transformed from the inside out. It's a heart issue. So pray the prayer of David, creating me a clean heart, and help me with my speech to be edifying and helpful and encouraging to the people around me. So that's, that's where it starts. And you're saying, okay, Scott, all this is great, but I'm getting all of this um, just after the nick of time. That is, I've already damaged people with my speech. I've already been there. I've, I've heard others. So what now? Well, with that, let me just, before we go, leave you with the 12 healing words. Um, and they're just very, very important for us to get. They're uh, four sets of um, three words. And so all of them are important and all of them need to go in order. 
So let me just show you the 12 healing words. If you're saying, it's too late for me, I got to figure this out. The first one is this, I was wrong. Three words, I was wrong. And do you know what the most important part of this sentence is? Let me show you the period. I was wrong, period. Stop there. You know how you can destroy this first set of three words? By adding one word, and I'll show you what that word is. I was wrong, but. Anything else you say after that, guess what? It won't matter. You've lost it. So I was wrong, period. First set, very important. Second set, I am sorry, period. I am sorry. And again, you've got to get the order right. You can't say I'm sorry unless you first said I'm wrong, can you? Because I'm sorry is just, hey, I want to dismiss it. I wasn't wrong. I'm sorry you're hurt, whatever it is, and you, and you just missed it. So we got to get I'm wrong, and then I'm sorry. It, it, you can't reverse the, or, or skip the first one to jump to the second. You got to acknowledge the hurt, then say I'm sorry. Then the next one is this, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And this is important because this is that moment where you are really handing something over to somebody else. And you don't like that because when you're saying, please forgive me, you're handing it to someone else and you don't know how they're going to respond. And that's a hard thing because it's a scary place to be, but it empowers them to then make their response. And you're just simply saying, will you please forgive me? And you hand it over to them. Then the last one, I love you which just is a, an opportunity for us to reaffirm the relationship. And let me, let me be very clear. Don't skip over the first nine to get to the last three, okay? The last three really need to come last. You can't, you can't miss the first ones. They're so critical and so important if you want to, to experience the healing. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm looking at James and I'm thinking to myself, James, can't you just teach on something that's very insignificant and very simple? We can just kind of gloss over. It would make my life so much easier. But James doesn't do that. And we are so much better for it because he's so clear in terms of his words to us. So let's just take a moment and uh, let's thank God for God's his word and ask his help in applying it. God, we do thank you for the words of James and how he says things so clearly and so powerfully. And of course, we know, Lord, they're your words for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would allow us to simply hear these words and not just hear them, but to heed them, to put them into practice in our life, that we would look to you for the help we need, that you would do the hard work that you need to do in our lives so that our speech could be um, different change, transform, bring healing instead of hurting. Lord, we, um, we, we recognize in this passage that says uh, where we all stumble in many ways, and none of us are an exception to that. And so, Lord, we, uh, we ask for your help, um, your forgiveness, your grace, because as we read this passage, as we look at these verses, we know we're right in the middle of it, and we need your grace and your forgiveness. And at the same time, Lord, we experience your grace and forgiveness. Help us to have a greater understanding and grace and forgiveness towards others who have wounded us with their words because they also stumble in many ways too. But Lord, ultimately, we're just thankful for your, your forgiveness for us, the work that you provided on the cross, that we can come to you 
And, and we come, as we come to you, we can find mercy, grace, hope, and healing. And you promise not just to uh, save us, but that you promise to walk with us and transform us throughout our lives. And Lord, we pray that you allow us to continue to surrender ourselves to you so you can do the heart work you need to do and so that we can represent you well with our words and our relationships. God, we pray this together in your name. Amen.